0: That's heritageradionetwork.org slash 15 to donate and enter to win today. And make sure you donate before March 31st. Thank you.
1: Visit a farm. Log on to Escapemaker.com for more ideas on local weekend getaways and day trips to orchards, farms, wineries, breweries, and more. Get out of the city and explore while also supporting your local farmers. Log on to Escapemaker.com now to get inspired and make your escape through the net. Oh, man, the sweet, sweet sounds of Obesity. I have missed them. Uh, Great to hear that show tune for the very first time in 2017. Happy New Year, everyone. Uh, You, of course, have tuned into Heritage Radio Network. We are coming to you, as always, from the back of Roberta's Pizza here in Bushwick, Brooklyn. You're listening to the very first show of 2017, of the Farm Report. And we have some big news today. Um, Before we get into that, I want to wish everyone a happy, happy new year. Uh, I hope your breaks were good. I hope you got a break. And um, we were able to take a little bit of time thinking about the show over the holiday, preparing some stuff that I'm really excited to share with you as we head into the new year. And the biggest announcement is that we're going to be joined this winter season by a co-host, the one... The only <laughs> Charlie Comer. Charlie, welcome to the studio. Thanks, Eric. Ah, oh. Yay! Yeah. <laughs> oh. <laughs> um, so, in, you know, uh, the Farm, Farm Report is one of the very first shows on the Heritage Radio Network. We've been around for quite some time. And um, I thought it was time to get a little bit more uh, fresh blood in the studio. I want to mix things up this season. And Shelly and I have been friends for a number of years. We actually met um, when I was up at Flying Pig. She was a participant in farm camp. How did you end up at farm camp? Um, well, I was just—I was
3: also working upstate at the time. Um, I was working in the Catskills and working on economic development programs and local food programs, and um, it was just such a great model and and uh, really cool to see this kind of platform for bringing together people from down here and people in the food industry with the agriculture industry.
1: One of the things that Charlie and I have been chatting a lot. Um, you know, post uh, early November is uh, feeling a little bit of this kind of like bubble mentality that a lot of our friends have been talking about that you've been hearing about a lot in the media with regards to the new administration um, and kind of really blowing that idea up and taking a step back and, and thinking a little bit more about the bubbles that we operate in beyond politics, just the way we kind of think about the world. And as you guys know, you know, I'm a small town girl, I grew up in a one stoplight town, which is now a uh, one flashing red light town. (laughs) It's like downsized population, you know, just shy of 3000 in uh, rural Northern Michigan. I was back home this year for the Christmas holiday and was so struck again by just how beautiful it is out there, but also um, hanging out with friends and family and being out and about in a town. um, Just how different that, pace of life is, uh, a way of life is, than how I spend a lot of my time in Brooklyn. Um, Shelly, you kind of come from a somewhat similar, but New York State. Uh, how, what was your hometown like? What What did you grow up kind of thinking and doing and talking about?
3: Yeah, I um, I grew up in central New York in more of like a suburban area, um, but kind of on the end of the Rust Belt. Like I grew up near Lake Ontario and... Um, I grew up in a union household, and everybody in my family, I, I have a huge family, I have like over 40 first cousins and, you know...
1: We what? have that in common, too. <laughs>
3: <laughs> I don't have as many siblings as you
1: know.
3: <laughs> Um And, you know, one thing that I was thinking a lot about over the holidays, you know, I think a lot of people were preparing for like how to kind of talk about the just current state of politics in the country, no matter what your perspective is. Um everybody was kind of thinking about how to talk about or if to talk about kind of that question with their family. And um, something that's interesting to me is, you know, growing up um, in a, like a blue collar family and, and like with my family with a background in labor movement, um, how you would have always assumed that people in those areas um, were Democrats. And, you know, now I think that um, those, you know, it goes back to the jobs question and, and, some people are you know the perspectives are more conservative now and why is that happening and what does that look like and um so yeah and I think you know one thing bringing you back to the city that's really interesting to me is um so many of the people I've become close friends with living here I've just been here for a few years but um so many of the people I'm close with are from the Great Lakes are from you know similar areas and um I think that that's really interesting in the kind of food and agriculture world and then just in general in your perspective on on things.
1: So like we flee, we flee our homeland so we can come across the, across the country to hang out with people. (laughs)
3: I'll have that sometimes that moment where I'll be like, wait a second, are you from like Ohio or something? (laughs) You're you're from Wisconsin, aren't you? There's a vibe.
1: There's definitely a vibe. Well, Shelly had reached out in uh, late November, early December with um, some questions for HRN, kind of wondering um, how, as we headed into the new year, we were going to be kind of talking about this um, middle space, looking at uh, agriculture under a new administration. We, you know, we've been operating um, under President Obama for the last eight years, and any kind of transition of this type definitely has, you know, broad sweeping impacts as it relates to kind of food and. We touched on a little bit of what the, Trump's policies were as a candidate um, in, a, in a segment we did earlier uh, this, this past year, I guess, in October. So it's definitely something we'll kind of come back to and visit. But some of the topics that we, we plan on talking about this year, um, definitely interested in taking a look at the big ones. Um, really thinking about immigration, labor, trade, climate, land, um kind of fascinated uh, to explore a little bit more of tech and tech innovations in food and farming, um, everything from you know global positioning systems to UPC codes to Charlie was telling me the other day about milking facial recognition <laughs> tools. What was that? Right. So um,
3: well, actually, I was just we were talking a little bit about I was upstate uh, this week and um, at a farm that uses robotic milkers, and which are amazing um it sounds i wish they were called something else because it makes it sound so different than it is um but it, you know robotic milkers give give the cows free choice for when they want to get milked and they can just come in and you know when they're ready and it's it's incredible and so some um some facilities that are using robotic milkers are also using the same kind of facial recognition software that's used in security and things like that, um, to identify, this is a very, this is not like widespread. Um, (laughs) this is something that I've just been seeing and hearing about, and I've only seen presentations on it and not seen it in real life, but because each cow has different markings, it, it uses the markings to, um, identify the cows as opposed to using a tag or things like that.
1: Which, you know, obviously when you're, when you're working in a, in the dairy industry, when you're looking at each specific cow, you want to understand, what's their milk output? Like, what are they eating? What are they drinking? Like, all those kind of consumption and expulsion <laughs> patterns are important to track because that's the business, right? Right, and from a commercial
3: dairy standpoint, from a like large-scale dairy standpoint, you can be so much more precise, right? And predict if, if she's going to be sick or have issues or, or things of that nature. So it goes back to... Kind of the theme that we're we're looking at here where um, sometimes we think th- these issues are so complex and you know no matter what scale you're at or what your politics are um, you you want the best for your business and for your animals and there's a lot of common values and common ground um, no matter the scale of the business and um, I'm not saying that there are definitely things that I think are caveats and and compromises for very large scale production that I don't feel comfortable about. Um, For me, it's about also about flavor and grass utilization and grazing and things like that. Um, But it's just kind of interesting understanding. Like we want to we want to learn um, through these like series of conversations about. What people's perspectives are, what their priorities are, why they're making these choices, help you know helping us understand where they're coming from.
1: Yeah, so kind of coming back to that kind of bubble that that phrase I keep hearing is like, oh, I don't really know anybody like that. And Charlie and I were really chatting and and really thinking a lot about kind of some of our experiences. Um, on farms, in food and egg, and the things that we've been um, privileged to see kind of firsthand, and the people we know, and feeling like there was uh, an opportunity here in the new year to start kind of peeling back some of the layers here. Um, there, it's almost in, in food that there's become these kind of arch type characters of like big bad evil corporate farmers, and small good perfect uh, you know organic or heirloom or uh, pasture based farmers, and. Um, ultimately I can't think of like many places in my life where things are as black and white as I would like them to be, (laughs) frankly, it would be so much easier. Um, so I think one of the things we're going to be doing is, is exploring some of these big topics in a very specific way. So obviously, um, you know, we're not going to give you the complete history of Food and farming and the labor industry in one forty-minute show. Um, if anyone out there can do that, please call us. Uh, we would love to have you on anytime. Um, but really, kind of our goal is to start building for you as our, as listeners and as supporters of the Farm Report uh, a little bit of a, a skill and knowledge base to start to be a critical consumer of some of the other media that you're seeing to hear some things firsthand and and obviously we would love to hear from you. Um, you know, what are your questions? What are the things you're wondering about? What are the kind of like phrases or terms or assumptions that make you go, Hmm. It's so like the things that make you go, Hmm, yeah, right. <laughs> like that old, uh, pop song. Um, so Charlie, I want to talk a little bit more about you though, in, in this kind of, on this theme of deeper exploration. <laughs> um, Tell tell us a little bit about, you know, what happened uh, after you left your hometown. You went to college?
3: Yeah, I actually I went to college
1: to study engineering and
3: Smart. Uh, Smart. <laughs> thank you. Um, <laughs> and you know, I studied environmental engineering and I got really interested in like
1: nutrients
3: okay (laughs) Uh, nitrogen and phosphorus yeah what
1: is environmental engineering like what does that mean
3: it can mean different things it can mean you know wastewater treatment plants it can mean
1: (laughs) you're like i can't get enough i know (laughs) i know (laughs) i mean it's important
3: i mean the world runs on manure aaron so
1: we're gonna learn more about that so too guys um sorry sorry um You know, it
3: can mean stormwater management. It can mean all all sorts of different things. Um, But for me, I was interested in watershed management. Um, And around that, I had an interest in the impact of agricultural land use. And so I I started focusing on that. Um, But I went to college in Philadelphia. And I started working on farms and in urban agriculture, like my sophomore year of college. And um, so I've been you know, working either, I I started out very small scale. I started working at a CSA farm, an organic farm. Um, And then after that, I I worked on the New York City water supply for almost 10 years as an engineer. And then I, in my free time, was working on different farms or just spending a lot of time growing things. And um, when the opportunity arose, I, I transitioned out of engineering and into more economic development work. And that's partially because I just found working with the actual business owners really fascinating. Um, And engineering and design and things like that are great. But it's also there's that additional dynamic um, where hearing about how people run their businesses and the infrastructure questions of getting products from farm to market um, are really interesting to me. So um, that's that's kind of. The role I, you know, I, I kind of see, have always seen my career is a role that brings together upstate and downstate, I guess, in a New York, New York State context. Um, and then also kind of bringing together the the producer and the consumer. And and those dynamics are really interesting. And then there's so many things you can pull out of that. I mean, looking at land use and land succession and land, you know, just the treatment of land and the treatment of our resources is really interesting. The business the business climate thing is also really I I love like learning about like, you know, all different scales of businesses and how people make it work. Um, So, yeah, that's
1: (laughs) well, maybe we'll we'll hop skip to your current job now. So you're working for Blue Apron and your title there is Uh, I'm the sustainability manager, sustainability manager. So Blue Apron, I mean, if you guys are podcast listeners and you haven't heard of Blue Apron. (laughs) I mean, I don't even know. Um, But for, you know, for the. They're really good at skipping the ads. (laughs) Yeah, then you have like some ad skipping technology that I don't want you to use for Heritage Radio Network, but I do want you to tell me about for my own personal use. No, I'm just kidding. I like love actually. Uh, podcast advertising because I feel like it's some of like the best targeted it's like when you hear those ads you're like this actually this is a thing I might want um so Blue Apron is a home meal kind of delivery service it's a kit so every week they send you um ingredients for different recipes that you can choose and you can make at home and kind of the goal of Blue Apron is to get more people in the kitchen. Is that more or less?
3: Right. I mean, the stated like mission of the company is to make incredible home cooking accessible to everyone. So <laughs> there it is.
1: <laughs> and I, I, you know, I spent a little bit time of time la- at, towards the end of last year, kind of experimenting with a lot of different, uh, of these kind of home delivery boxes. Cause I was so curious. I found myself having, you know, a knee jerk reaction where I'm like, Oh, that's bad. That's like bullshit. It's like, you know, people sending like stuff, to you in the mail, and like it's you know just go to the farmers market. What's so hard about it? And I have to say, I was um, I was so impressed by. The kind of it, mostly, honestly, the the recipe design I thought was like, wow, these are like really interesting recipes, from a skill building standpoint, from a flavor combination standpoint. I felt like Blue Apron really stood um, out above some of the other places that I tried with with regards to the fact that I'm like, oh, I could see if you were not a person who knew how to cook and were repetitively using this service, like you could eventually like walk away with some like real skills and get to enjoy some like pretty decent meals. Um, Why do they need a manager of sustainability?
3: (laughs) Um, Well, we have a lot of goals around our food systems impact and, you know, are doing a lot of work toward delivering on that. And so our, our whole kind of supply chain team is, is working on, um, you know, working directly with farmers and direct sourcing, working on animal welfare standards Um, and working, I mean, I actually just want to also speak to what you were just saying is, um, you know, we have this amazing culinary team. Our, um, our head chef is John Adler, who used to be the chef at Franny's. Um, and for me, I, I'm the same way. I, I've always, I've been a cook forever. I love to cook. I cook all the time, but like, I constantly find myself thinking like, wow, I can't believe I made this, you know, with the recipes and, (laughs) I think one other really interesting thing I heard somebody in the marketing team make this comment about, um, you know, we're only three meals out of the 21 that you eat in a right. week. And we like to think that we can have an influence on the other 18 meals you eat during the week. So... A lot of the content that is part of the company is um, just about seasonality, about general, you know, things that we don't even ship about like different fruits and vegetables that aren't even like necessarily part of, of the box, but, you know, hoping to kind of educate people. And I guess this goes back to like kind of the career kind of trajectory thing that we were talking about before, too. And, you know, you and I have talked about this where in like food and agriculture, you kind of, you know, I I started out more small scale and more organic and heirloom and things like that. And I know, you know, you've worked in some amazing kitchens and, you know, worked at some amazing retailers. And, um, it's interesting over the course of time, how you start gaining appreciation for like broadening the tent and mid scale food businesses and mid
1: scale farms. Yeah. Well, it's interesting. I actually, I had another girlfriend of mine who very briefly worked for Blue Apron and she said she's like it was really funny because I went in and I was like she was working on some of the sourcing and she's like I was used to having conversations around where are we going to get a couple of like bushels of parsnips and they're talking about like truckloads Mm -hmm. of parsnips um so when you're thinking about kind of You know, impact, and for her, she felt like she's like, oh, I don't know this world. I don't want to get engaged in this world. This is big. It's like scary. You can't do it well at this scale. And um, you know, that's that's how like that's what kind of felt right to her. And I think one of the things that's like interesting, in and one of the things I will hope that we'll be able to explore throughout this year is like why big doesn't mean bad, and also like how much actually big is so much of our food supply. That not talking about it or putting these kind of like assumptions on it really does a disservice to kind of everyone across the board. Well,
3: and just speaking to that, one thing that I found kind of I had a a different experience, which is I saw some of the crop planning background and I think it's, you know, I don't work directly on firm sourcing, but. I think it's pretty incredible. We will source, you know, a small volume of product from a half a dozen small-scale women-owned startup kind of type farms across the country um, and help them diversify their enterprises. Um, I mean, I we need to help small and young farmers not put all their risk in one place, not put all of their their income in one outlet. Yeah. At like the direct markets and we need to help people. I mean, those markets are starting to get more and more saturated and people are looking for opportunities. And I mean, the amount of resources that, um, blue apron is dedicated to helping people r- access wholesome markets is pretty incredible. Um, but it, then I'll also say that it's something that's really interesting to me is, um, we also work with these like multi-generational, uh, vegetable farms that have, um, you know grown a small number like you know half a dozen of crops um for traditional outlets like processing veg- the processing vegetable industry or um regional grocery stores and where they're growing different varieties and they're adding more uh, crop families to their rotation and so I you know it's this isn't easy. It's,
1: yeah, it's not easy and it's not black and white. <laughs> yeah. I think that's the thing. It's like finding the space where like you want to occupy. And kind of on that note of diversifying opportunities for farmers to have multiple outlets, I think it's exciting. There's a big, uh, a big amount of funding that just happened here in the city. Grow NYC, um, the nonprofit that runs Green Markets, is going to be building out a pretty extensive uh, food hub and wholesale market. Um, in the coming years, and that is another organization that you spent some time with. What was your What was your work through the Green Markets?
3: Um, so I worked on the um, on Farm Roots, which is the Farm Business Management Program, which is still going on and doing amazing things, helping people with succession planning and long term planning. Um, and one thing that's really interesting is. That program is like an outgrowth of what started as a largely and continues to be. um, They continue to serve this function of working with immigrant farmers and um, helping immigrant, you know, a lot of um, there's a serious number of immigrant farmers in this country that are coming from very, um, you know, great Farms, big farms, diversified farms with professional experiences and professional backgrounds and coming here and working um, either construction jobs or restaurant jobs or if they're working on farms, they're, you know, kind of just working as as laborers or things like that. So um, one of the functions of that program is helping people who want to start farms here who have agricultural experiences in their home country. Um, so, I don't know. It, that kind of goes back to like what we've been talking about too, with some of these big issues like farm labor, which is always an ongoing issue. And I was uh, sharing with you earlier before we came on air this um, statistic that I just keep thinking about. I, I heard um, a speaker from Cornell, um, who we're going to have on on a subsequent show, um, mention this week that eighty percent of the agricultural workforce in the country is immigrant labor and wow and um and then also shared some statistics about what that means like as number of people and that you know of course it's kind of an estimate but it it could be between because of the lack of documentation um could be between 1.6 and 1.8 million people but and then like the the real clincher is um <laughs> that I think in the same year that the the data was collected, only 149,000 H two A visas were issued, which are, is the kind of more legal way of having an immigrant worker. So, I mean, the the other thing that's crazy to me when I think about that is that's just farm labor. That's not restaurants. That's not you know um, other kind of ancillary business. It's not I I don't believe that's like livestock processing. Right. Um,
1: <laughs> right. Yeah. No. I mean, I think. I I'm, I'm going to be excited to like learn more about this issue because it's definitely not an area where I have much expertise. Um I, and but I but, but I'm like I don't have much expertise but I have strong opinions. Yeah. So I'll be you know, I'll be interested to see kind of like my assumptions are that there are uh there's a large kind of undocumented uh immigrant workforce that is really the backbone of our food system and that there is um, a lot of kind of complex things that we'll be exploring, I think, on this show. It's like hard to, I don't know, I guess it's like hard on some level for me to kind of like wrap my head around like the idea of leaving your country to go and work not legally in another country in a job that is incredibly like challenging where you have limited access to any of the, like the rights and protections of that country um and then to to like think that those people are somehow like devious or weak or i mean it's just like i'm like i don't know it just like doesn't really add up for me um yeah
3: and we want to bring on voices that you know help us understand like far- farmers who can like help us understand what that really looks like for them um, and why, you know, what their opinions of, of it are. And it, it, yeah, that's a great point. Like we're not experts on these things, but we can, we know people that we really respect that are great business people and doing really amazing things at different scales um, that can help us understand what it means to them, what it, the reality like on their farm is. And then also we want to, you know bring in some people who are experts academics or different people who work in advocacy or in the industry that can like one thing that i'm fascinated by is like wait how do you even like find these people you know and and it's it's interesting to me that like what, you know you think about the vetting and hiring process that we just go through in a normal job and you hear it farmers say you know like oh i i hired native born i hired american workers and they only suck around at most, you know. On average, one or two years. And you know, meanwhile, I have this family from Mexico, and they've been here for almost fifteen years. And you know, I that's just like just general management kind of input, you know, of like I, I hired this person and they stayed, and it was you know <laughs> I got good returns on that.
1: Yeah, it's tough. I think to because two year, I would, like hesitant to extrapolate too much from like individual experiences. And at the same time, it's like the only way I know how to like understand <laughs> anything. So we're really, we're really going to be like striving to kind of strike a balance between how we understand these things, um, individual to individual and also in the aggregate and where there's space in between those. Um, we have been chatting a lot and we need to take a break. Yes. Um, so hang tight guys. We're going to hear a quick word from, The people who keep us on air. We'll be right back.
0: And this is another one from Obey City. We'll be right back.
1: To Escapemaker.com for more ideas on local weekend getaways and day trips to orchards, farms, wineries, breweries, and more. Or come by Escapemaker's Blue Tent in Grow NYC's Green Markets and pick up a guide to local agritourism escapes to the green market's own farmers and producers. Have you listened to On the Road with Beer Sessions Radio? Escape Maker has teamed up with Heritage Radio to design a vacation package that provides a first-hand experience of the local flavors from some of New York's best craft beverage producers. Listen in and book your trip at escapemaker.com slash heritageradio. No car, no problem. Escape Maker features plenty of ideas for car-free getaways, including discounts via Amtrak. Get out of the city and explore, while also supporting your local farmers. Log on to EscapeMaker.com now to get inspired and make your escape through the net. All right. You guys, thanks for not leaving. This is the Farm Report. I am your host, Aaron Fairbanks, in studio with my new host... <laughs> co-host, Chali Comer, and we are hearing all about her background, we have been waxing kind of poetic, I hope you guys think it's poetic, we're trying, Um, on some of the things that we're going to be exploring with you in the, the winter 2017 season of the Farm Report. Um, So Chal, you were mentioning some kind of interesting statistics uh, with regards to immigrant labor. And I know um, that you heard them this weekend because you are part of a really interesting um, program that they host here in New York State called LEAD. So can you tell us a little bit about that?
3: Sure. Um, So it's an agricultural leadership program uh, that's managed through Cornell University. And um, we're in our second year. It's a two-year program. And um it's it's been a great experience for me. Um it's uh, people from all across the state and actually a number of people from neighboring states in the northeast region. Um and you know, you do you do a lot of different like personal training and management training and things like that. But um <laughs> it which is actually
1: really good. Eyes. Which is You're great. Like, it's good <laughs> but it's not the sexy part of Yeah, me. <laughs>
3: Well it's it's good, but there's really like the relationships are really great uh-huh. and um and getting to kind of understand where you know kind of the what we've been talking about here like really gaining an appreciation of the complexities of these kind of um ongoing themes that happen in in our industry um and understanding how you know there aren't really always easy answers um and so you, you get an opportunity to interact with people in government with people in the industry a lot of different go on different farm visits and and do some really great readings so that's we were on some farms talking about labor this week and, and meeting with some of the researchers and advocates around farm labor
1: and the program is through Cornell which is New York State's land-grant University
3: yes and actually um, applications are the application period for the program is is open right now and uh, applications are due in March so um,
1: oh, check it out at lead is it's L
3: just uh, I think if you just search like, um, Agricultural leadership, lead New York. Uh, you know, like and I, try- I, I wasn't prepared.
1: Sorry, sorry, <laughs> I didn't <laughs> know totally we were going to talk. No, um, no, I, I guess I'm just, I'm like, I can't remember if it's L E E D or L E A D. L E A D. Yeah. L E A D. Okay, cool. And I don't know.
3: I, th- I think it's really for me. um, You know, like having this perspective from being in the city. I think it's, you know, there's I um, well, actually Sam Filler, who's been involved um, with this program too, through his work in the beverage industry is also in the class. Um, and I think it's really great to have, you know, some people with, you know, there are people who grew up on farms and whose family has been in agriculture for generations. Um, and then there are people like me, I, I, you know, I didn't grow up on a farm. my My family is, my parents aren't farmers and um, but you know, I really care about the industry, so it's it's been cool you're pro- to have that. Probably dynamic. like
1: most of our listeners, yeah. <laughs> yeah. You're, you're like, uh, I didn't grow up farming, and I am not a farmer, and yet, <laughs>
3: <laughs> yeah. And I guess that's kind of goes back to what we want to talk about with this show. Is like, so what is our role in this discussion? What is our, you know? And I think we're at a moment right now, no matter what your um, your perspective is on things is like you want to do something you don't like the division that like of of kind of access to different um opinions and like i feel super lucky that i've had this career where i know people like all across the spectrum of opinions on f- like ag issues and um and i want to like i want to I want to raise up their voices through this venue and, like, help help people understand, like, no, this is, like, I get it. Like, that's an ideal idea, but, like, this is my reality. And, you know, and, like, I think that some people would probably be surprised that, like, you know, there, there are a couple of women in, like, Bushwick talking about, like, you know, this type of agriculture or things like that. Um, but... You know, I, I think that they need to know that we're we're thinking about these things down here and that they're they're also thinking about consumers and marketing trends and, and what the marketplace is doing.
1: Yeah, well I mean obviously I feel like if I've learned anything it's like there's lots to learn. Right. There's
3: oh that's why I love this industry, is that there is like always more there are like so so many layers to the onion.
1: Um I guess I'm. I'm like I'm like now. I'm just thinking about onions. I'm like onions, What are some other like interesting onion parallels? I know. Or <laughs> right. well, how
3: many? How many like farm like little farmy sayings, food sayings?
1: <laughs> There's um, there so many. Um, one of that it quickly like yeah. goes
3: into an SNL sketch. So
1: yeah, so, I mean, <laughs> ideally, ideally. Um, I feel like I guess the other thing I just want to throw out to you guys is um. Would love to hear more from you this season. Um, if you're looking for ways to engage with the show, you can uh, email me. It's just Aaron at org, or you can email Charlie, which is. Um, I, well, I don't know. I, I, I don't have a heritage.
3: I don't, sorry. I don't. I Charlie doesn't want to talk wanna give to you. My email she doesn't I does not want to have give like my, a good oh, email address. We have
1: to get Charlie a Heritage Radio Network <laughs> email address. Sorry, I guess Sorry. I should have done that before the show. Um, but you can also leave comments um, on uh, by writing a review on iTunes. Uh, you can leave comments, you can leave questions there. It's really nice to um, get those reviews because it helps us know that you're out there and listening, and it also helps other people find the show um, it's a great way to kind of engage uh, i also a oh, oh, big thank you so many of you um, reached out to donate uh, with the radio network's end of your drive um, and i appreciate that so much it felt really good to see those donations come in don't worry it's not too late you can donate at any time if you uh, miss the end of your deadline because you're a human who has like lots of stuff going on totally get it um, they're really like any amount any amount helps. It, it, it's awesome. And it was great to see those kind of come through. So um, that said, we've got a couple of minutes left. Um, Charlie. I want to talk about something totally different, something we haven't covered, something we didn't talk about before the show. <laughs> um, but I am a little curious. Um, what, one of the things I always find interesting about people who work in food and farming is kind of what they're eating. Lately. Ah. And we're here in the Northeast. Uh, It is fully cold January. And I'm wondering if what you've been kind of like filling your belly with lately. Oh, Mm. let's see. I, well, one thing I've been loving this winter is
3: I got a wild salmon share. Um, Uh And so I've been um, just eating, you know, kind of defrosting the fillets. And um, I, you know, it's a, a great, like, I, I don't know. I'd, it's something I'd thought about doing for a long time, and and so that's been really fun. Like, kind of. Who
1: did you get the share through?
3: Um, from Christopher. From. Um, ah, uh, the Iliama. Yeah, Iliama. Yes, nice. Yes, oh, it's such a good so deal great. too. I mean, and actually, at work we just all um, split like pork shares and things like that. So I have a, a good kind of stocked up pantry, <laughs> um, and I'm not sick of winter squash yet. Like I was, I just cooked like another kabocha squash, and I was like, okay, I'm not. So you know, like I got probably like another month
1: before <laughs> before the before the winter. Yeah. What are you eating? I I was I did some experimenting this weekend actually. Um, I was away for um, about ten days over the end of the year, and I came back to a uh, half a gallon of sour milk. And I grew up, you know, in a very kind of traditional rural. Lutheran Midwest upbringing, (laughs) which means you're not allowed to waste anything ever. Um, And I've always done baking with sour milk, but I was a little overwhelmed by just kind of like this year. I was like, oh, four cups. And also, I'm like trying, you know, in the like New Year's cleanse way. I'm like not trying to be eating lots of pancakes right now. Um, So I was like, what can I do with this? And um, I did, I I like um, did this kind of interesting. Baked chicken uh, and quinoa dish nice. w- with sour milk, and it was so delicious um, you know, kind of creating one, like looking at that kind of food waste issue where you create a recipe around a thing that's kind of gone bad. But then if you like really like it, you're like, well, what do I just like wait for the milk? Um, but what's like super interesting. And I guess I like, I would love to hear from you guys, like, what are some of your kind of like waste not want not kind of cooking tips for the home kitchen? Because I, I think that's like one of the, the topics we've covered on the show quite a bit is the kind of issue around food waste in America. You know, there's statistics out there that, uh, you know, upwards of 40% of the food that we produce in this country is lost or wasted somewhere along the production chain from the field to your kind of home and and most of that is in the household too. <sighs> I
3: know. I I'm, I'm actually the focus of my work at Blue Apron is around food waste. So, oh, really? looking at like how we can really, you know, we already have like done studies that shown that we're we're reducing food waste in the household level, um, and we're working to kind of continue to educate people about it and continue to refine our processes and things like that. So, um, but yeah, that's that's one of the things that I I always assumed it was. You hear so much about food losses in the supermarket mm-hmm. um, or, or things like that. Or, you know, when you work in agriculture, you think about field losses. Um, but when you look at the statistics, um, yeah, it's it's a lot in the household. It's our and, fault, guys. Well, in the Save the Food campaign, there's one thing I've, I've been thinking is really exciting is that there's now this new, the Ad Council and NRDC, the Natural Resources Defense Council, have um, partnered on this new Save the Food campaign. And there are ads all over and the bus stops and things like that in the city. So I've been loving seeing those.
1: Yeah. Well, yeah. So send us your tips and tricks, and um, I will, at some point this season, get it together to to, to write up that recipe and, and yeah. share it on our webpage. That is a goal of mine. Is, uh, in the in the new year is to kind of be able to create and share a little bit more of the work I'm doing with you guys. Um, on that note, we are out of time. Um, Thank you so much for tuning in, Charlie. I'm so excited to get to share the next kind of 12 episodes of The Farm Report with you. Me too. Thank you so much. (laughs) (laughs) All right, guys. uh, You've done it. You've made it to the end of another another episode. This show, like all 35 of the great programs I do at Heritage Radio Network, um, it's available for free. You know, you can find us on iTunes. You can find us on Stitcher. You can find us via our website, anywhere you get kind of great podcasts. Uh, if you don't already sign up for the Heritage Radio Network newsletter, um, visit the website. Sign up for those. Uh, we got some brand new shows coming out this season, um, lots of fun events. Um, the crew going to be traveling uh, to some different parts of the country, bringing you some great content. so You don't want to miss any of that, and the best way to not miss it is is to check out the website. Um, you can also find me I, um, on Instagram and Twitter at Aaron underscore Fairbanks. You can check out my website www com. <laughs> Um lots That's of my middle name too. <laughs> I have like three sisters with the middle name Maria. I'm like, come on, Ma. Um Charlie, anything else you want to leave the folks with before we sign off? Um no, I guess I'd just build upon to um
3: what you were saying before about people giving feedback on what they want to hear. You know, we're we're planning on from our perspectives, you know, framing this around some of these big kind of ongoing issues like you're saying before around labor, climate change, consumer perspectives. Um, regulation, biotechnology, things like that. So um, tell us what you want to hear. Tell us if, if those are on target with what you're interested in or if you have suggestions for other, other topics.
1: And stay tuned next week for Charlie's email address. <laughs> <laughs> Thanks, guys. <laughs>